from the somewhat shuttered studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another sprouting good episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Some crops like peas, beans, sweet corns, and greens are supposed to be, quote, direct seeded. On today's show, we'll discuss what the heck that means and reveal some tips that will help you have success with seeds. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens. That's right, potential guests are busy apologizing to their arugula. So we will take that heap and help it. Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and vernally verbose vivifications. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than little bitty baby carrots looking good in a cardboard box. Right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners. School bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the studios of PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, the term direct seeding seems so simple. Just put some seeds in the ground and go out and get the knife and fork, right? But actually, direct seeding can be a little bit tricky. We'll tell you how to achieve seeding success after a lot of your seedy phone calls at 833-727-9588. Paula, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. I'm happy to speak with you. I'm happy to speak with you, Paula. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And where is Paula doing well? I live in New Rochelle, New York. Oh, okay. Um, you may be our first new New Rochelle caller. What can oh. we? Yeah. What can we, I know where it is. Um, oh, about twenty minutes outside of Manhattan, with no traffic. Two hours with traffic. Okay, so it's a three-hour drive. <clears throat> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. What can we do for Paula in New Rochelle? Well, is, wait a minute. Is yeah. there an old Rochelle? I mean. No. You know, why is, how do you have a new one without an old one? I don't know. Um, based on some country, uh, some city in France, and then it became famous with the Dick Van Dyke show many, many years ago on Bonnie Meadow Road in New Rochelle. Is that where he and Laura Petrie lived? That's where they live, and it's not too far from my house, and they have actually renamed the street. Actually, it has two names, Bonnie Meadow Drive and the Dick Van Dyke Show. Oh, that, and you live on the Dick Van, Van Dyke Show street? No, I don't live on it, but I live near it. Oh, okay. All right. Well, if you see, if you see Laura walking around, say hi for me. I will, I will. All right. Let's get to it, Paula. What can okay. we do you for? Uh, I've been trying very hard over the years to garden organically and not use pesticides and mm -hmm. be a good doobie. I've been battling these bugs that have been eating some of my crops, um, and I'm losing the war. Uh -huh. So as I was preparing, thinking about prepping my soil this year, I was thinking about, are these little buggers overwintering in the soil? And is there something I could put in the soil to maybe destroy the larvae before they hatch? Um, I was thinking of a diatomaceous earth, or is there something else? I was wondering if that was safe. If it was, I'm worried about earthworms, and is it even a good idea? Well, a diatomaceous earth 
is an interesting product. It looks like flour to us, but right. it's actually the fossilized remains of ancient prehistoric seagoing creatures called diatoms, okay. one of the earliest forms of life. And even though it looks like flour to us, it's incredibly sharp on the microscopic level. Um, so it is a very effective deterrent for soft-bodied pests that walk across the soil surface, especially slugs. It is a great slug preventative, making a ring of diatomaceous earth around vulnerable plants like hostas or potatoes or lettuces, you know, things that slugs love to chow down on, will destroy the slugs when they try to crawl over it. It's actually also used against roaches, the same way boric acid is, because they're actually soft-bodied on their underbelly. Okay. And it's much better to use this stuff indoors because it loses all effectiveness once okay. it gets wet. So, it's wet. So mixing it into the soil could theoretically harm your earthworms, except mm. it's going to get so damp it's not going to do nothing. Okay. Now, what do these bugs look like? Well, I, I, I've got a couple, and it's mostly on my kale and my cabbage. Okay. Um, when I first had my best crop of kale, this cloud of those little white flies mm -hmm. that laid all their eggs in the back of my leaves kind of took over. That wasn't too bad because they didn't really eat the leaves, but the eggs were pretty gross. Uh-huh. In the last couple of seasons, I plant them, and just as the leaves really start to, to come out, they're just, like, shredded. I don't even yeah. know. I can't see what it is. Yeah. A lot of humans don't like kale, but a lot of insects do. Oh, and I've tried everything. No, you and... haven't because kale yeah. is not a flowering plant. Neither right. are cabbages. So. Okay. It is very simple, and these, whatever they are, they're not overwintering. They're flying into your garden. Okay. So all you have to do is dedicate some space in your garden that mm -hmm. you will cover with what are called floating row covers or remay. Yeah. Uh, they're white kind of blanket-like materials. You see them all the time in images of the lettuce crops out in California. Yeah, and, I, I actually tried that one year. And, and it, I... it should have worked perfectly. Didn't it didn't work? And last a couple of years ago, I even bought something called a veg truck, which is like a table. Um, oh yeah, a, I those uh, raised beds on legs. I love right. those. Right, I got it because it came with a frame and an insect cover, and I thought, great, this is the answer to my prayers. I covered it, I locked it down, and they somehow they still got in there and shredded my my kale. Um, even was, though you had fastened the cover. Fastened it covered. I took those big binder clips, even in addition to the tape that was on it, and sealed it all around. And somehow, some way, they still got in there. And I don't know why, and I'm just losing my mind. Yeah, well, you know, join the club. Well, <laughs> and, uh, you know, my experience with kale is you never see the perpetrators. Exactly, exactly. I used BTI spray with, no, BT spray. Um, I'm not sure if it's BTI, and it no, works. No, no. Yeah, go ahead. You've got to go out there and spray it every time it rains, and it's been raining every day. This yeah, it, it did rain every day. Um, yep. So you use the old original form of BT, which, right. we, and it was effective, so that means they were caterpillars. Oh, really? Yeah. So, you know, 
here's what you do. Yeah. I want you to continue with the BT spray, especially early in the season. Okay. But since, um, did you buy the diatomaceous earth or were you just thinking about it? I was just thinking about it. In, if it's dry out, I would dust the plants. Oh, really? Okay. Yes, with diatomaceous earth. I wouldn't mix it into the soil, but obviously as you dust your plants with it, and um, you can buy like squeezy things okay. um, that shoot the dust onto the plants. A lot of people use those uh, for chemical dust, like seven. Okay. But you can use it for the diatomaceous earth, and it'll put a nice powdery coating on it. You right. could also try a product called Surround, which, Surround, which is a micronized clay spray that you would spray on your kale and cabbage, and it would look like a flocked Christmas tree. Okay. But it's just clay. So uh -huh. when you're ready to harvest, you bring it inside and you wash it off, which you right. should always do anyway. Right, right, I do. Okay. And what the clay spray does it, is it prevents contact um, by insects. But I think you've diagnosed your own problem with mm -hmm. the BT and between uh, the BT and dusting with diatomaceous earth because caterpillars are by definition soft-bodied pests, mm -hmm. you should do fine. Although okay. I'm shocked that the row covers didn't work. I, you know, I tried and I thought the veg truck was the answer, but I don't know. I don't know how they got in there. You know, maybe one day, one little opening, who knows. Um, but I'm going to definitely look for surround. And is there any benefit to putting the BT granules in the soil? No, because that's BTI. And B oh. BTI only works against mosquitoes and oh. other biting flies that breed in wet soil or standing water. The okay. older, you see, people get confused about BT. The old original form of BT, often just called BT, mm -hmm. is Bacillus thuringiensis corstaki. That's the first strain. And that only affects caterpillars, and it's been around for like 60 years. Very safe to use. Okay. BTI, Bacillus thuringiensis israeliensis, only protects against mosquitoes when you put those dunks or the granules in standing water or wet areas on your property, and then mosquitoes can't breed, but it harms no other form of life. Okay, right. Right, I heard your show about that, and I'm actually going to try that this summer in some buckets around my property. I think that's the smart thing to do because it's been so wet and such a warm winter, it's right. a great idea to put out BTI traps. Maybe I'll even do next week's question of the week on that. Oh, that would be great because they eat me alive when I'm in my garden too, so um, that would be great. All right, so I'm going to give surround and or diatomaceous earth a try. Yes. And I hope it works. I'm going to cross my fingers. Good luck. Thank you so much, Mike. I really enjoy listening to you. That number to call. Write it on the wall. Put it on your refrigerator. Mark it onto a sticky pad and put it on your forehead. 833-727-9588. Mary, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Oh, hi, Mike. <laughs> nice to have you here, Mayor. Where are you? I'm in Vienna, Virginia. I know where that is, the famous <laughs> toll road, right? You got to pay to drive to you. 
we have express lanes now too. Okay, you're not far from Wolf Trap, are you? No, I'm not. We're very, I'm very close. Oh, so it's not like you can open the windows and get the concert for free. Mm. <laughs> yeah, not that close. Oh, right. <laughs> All right. What can we do for Marion Vienna? We have uh, an older house. It's um, over 50. It's about 55 years old. Mm -hmm. um, we've been here for 23 years, and we it had the wild onions when we, we moved here, and we still have them. Mm -hmm. And I, my husband mows the, lawn, the grass, but that's it. He doesn't take care of it, and um, I'd like to get it, you know, renovated. We have uh, mostly... Japanese stilt grass, which I kind of like it, but, you know, it, it's a weed. The definition of a weed is a valuable plant that somebody thinks is in the wrong place. You know, <laughs> it's, it's in the eye of the beholder. Now, this is interesting because had you called even a couple of weeks ago, I would have said the best way to get rid of wild onion, which is a bulbing plant. In other words, as you know, if you pulled them up, there are bulbs in the ground, like onions and garlic, oh, yeah. To, yeah. to which these wild plants are related. They are true members of the Allium family. And they tend to grow in clumps because that's how they multiply. There is a tool, I don't believe it's available anywhere else, but from a company called Lee Valley Tools, L-E-E, -E, and it's called the Water Powered Weeder. And it's this long spike that you attach to your garden hose nozzle and with a trigger, and you jam it into the ground. And when you pull the trigger, all of your water pressure comes out this tiny hole at the end. And it saturates the soil, and you just reach over, and the whole clump comes out. You almost don't need to pull it. How big is your lawn? Well, the, the lot is 0.29 acres. Okay, so the lawn is, you know... It's kind of big, yeah. I think. Okay. The time to renovate the lawn would be in the fall, um, you know, between August 15th and September 30th is the perfect time to sow the seed of a new lawn. In the meantime, I would urge you to continue your your scalping and uh, liming of the areas with the um, with the wild onion because these bulbing these bulbing weeds uh, they're they're not affected by herbicides uh, chemical or organic because the top of the plant as you know is like a long thin blade of grass so herbicides can't hang on to it. And then, yeah, all, yeah, I know. then all the energy yeah. is stored in the root system. So I think you attacking it directly with this thing that you discovered is a great idea. The Japanese stilt grass should pull out easily whenever the soil is wet, and that should come out in clumps too. So maybe you want to get one of these water-powered weeders and use that on the stilt grass. Shove it in next to it really saturate that area, and then slowly pull out the clumps. You don't, you don't have to be perfect here. Just do what you can, maybe 20 minutes a day, early in the morning when it's nice out, something like that, or hire some kid in the neighborhood to you know, go through your lawn. And then what I would suggest, right around August 1st, have your husband scalp everything down to the, you know, 
we want to see dirt blowing out the back of the mower. And then you have two choices. If you till the soil, which maybe is helpful because it's compacted, then you're going to have to level it out and water it before you put the seed down to allow any weeds that, are, that were um, exposed by the tilling to sprout. And then you want somebody with a very sharp hoe, like a diamond hoe, to just slice those weeds off at the soil line, cut their little heads off. That's called creating a stale seed bed, and now you've got a great start. So then you want to have some topsoil or compost delivered. Try to spread it an inch thick over top of the area to be seeded. Level it out. It is so important to level the surface. And then you will sow your grass seed. All right, that sounds good, Mike. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, good luck, Mayor. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind you that you're listening to a hybrid episode of You Bet Your Garden, recorded in a marathon session in early April following strict social distancing rules. We have something old, something new, nothing borrowed, uh, besides bad jokes. And we hope you're not too blue. So hang in there, cats and kittens, and grow something. But don't pick up that trowel just yet, because we'll be right back. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is brought to you by Rodale Institute. Need organic plants for your summer garden? Rodale Institute's organic plant sale is here to help. Orders can be placed by phone or online and picked up curbside in Kutztown, PA, May 7th through the 9th. Contact information, full plant list, and pricing details available at RodaleInstitute.org. Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. And now for something completely different. You may remember Tim Cheney of the Edge Hill Rounders who played the marvelous Lanternfly song on our show previously. Well, he has to go solo right now because of the quarantine, but he has two YouTube hits that we could not resist sharing with you. One is the coronavirus song, but my absolute favorite of the pair is his, quote, B-side hit, the TP Blues. And we ain't talking about a tent, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I've been hearing all about this coronavirus on TV. Doctors all saying it can cause a serious lower respiratory tract infection. And we all know what that means. 
I better get some toilet paper. Uh, well, I'm going down to the giant store. I bet you can guess what I'm going shopping for. I'm going to take my cart careen down the roads. And if you get in my way, I'm going to punch you in the nose. It's raising my BP. Shopping for this TP. Well, you know, I don't really uh, see the harm in stocking up on a year's supply of Charmin. I'm picking all the rolls off the shelf. Gonna take it home, I'll have it all to myself. Oh, it looks kind of creepy. Shells without any TP. out to the parking lot I got my Charmin and my Cottonelle and my Scott I'm gonna head back to my humble abode and I'll stack it up by the commode I'll build a teepee for my sweetie out of teepee we'll go to sleepy in my teepee and pay the teepee Someone knocking on my door last night, but I didn't want to answer because I thought it might be the virus, coronavirus. I don't want to go out, I want to stay inside in my bed under the covers where I can hide from the virus, coronavirus. Well, last night I heard my girlfriend cough. I said, now, baby, I'm calling it off because the virus coronavirus I've been avoiding my friends acting like a loner cause who needs friends when they give me that coronavirus coronavirus well I went down to the CDC Dr. Fauci he said to me it'll be a year till we get the vaccine now scram for I put you in quarantine if you travel to China or to Italy to Iran or Seattle stay away from me with that virus, coronavirus. I went down to the store to buy Purell, but the shelves were empty. They had none to sell because the virus, coronavirus. I can't get to the office to do my job. I can't open the door because I'm afraid to touch the knob because the virus, coronavirus. I turned on the TV and the news I'm dreading And they showed a big map how the virus was spreading Oh, the virus, coronavirus Well, if you're coughing around me, put a mask on your face Cause I don't want to be the very next case of that virus Coronavirus I went back to Dr. Fauci and he was not pleased He said, I'm busy controlling disease When the vaccine's ready, I'll let you know That it called security, now it's time for me to go If you travel to China or to Italy To Iran or Seattle, stay away from me with that virus Coronavirus With that virus Coronavirus 1-833-727-9588. Bruce! Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Uh, nice to be here. Nice to have you here, Bruce. I bet you get that a lot, don't you? Uh, right. 
That's right. So where are you, Bruce? Uh, we're outside Regalsville, Pennsylvania. Sure, yeah. Um, that's not near Philly, so you're in the, are you in the Lehigh Valley? Yeah, we're close to uh, about uh, 15 miles south of Easton. Oh, okay. And Easton so is hopping. Yeah. Do you go to the farmer's market there? Uh, we uh, would go all the time there. Yeah, that's the oldest farmer's market in the country. Yeah, we go there. They have their garlic festivals and all their uh, um, various occasions that are fun to go to. It's a great place. All right, so what can we do you for today? Well, I, I uh, was interested. We have a, um, we're living on an, uh, what was an old farm here. Right. And uh, um, while we're not farmers, we're gardeners, um, uh, we do have a, um, some, it's most of the area is in, we've put in conservation easement. Right. Um, but, um, and some of that we have to leave open for open fields. And so there's about 10 acres of fields that uh, we keep open, and I mow them with a tractor. And, but they also could be, under the conservation easement, uh, used for farming. Right. And so one of the things we were interested in was the possibility of whether there's uh, some kind of uh, organizations or schools or universities in the area that might um, be able to use the land to either train farmers or to um, give young people some farming experience uh, and who are in need of land to farm and don't don't have the land but have the skills to do the farming. Absolutely, and I can tell you a comparable that you can get in touch with and even go visit. They're not far away. They're in Veracruz, if you know where that is. Okay. And that's a place called the Seed Farm, which I have to admit, I've lived out here for so long when I started hearing about the place, I figured they grew plants for seed. But instead, they grow farmers. Um, uh, okay. They rent them plots of land, and they have shareable equipment, and people learn to farm there, and some of them move on to start their own small-scale farms. But some of them stay and kind of rent or lease a part of the property and use that to grow. I know one woman there, I call her Periwinkle. She grows amazing cutting flowers, and she learned to do it there. But there's a real camaraderie, so she wants to stay. And, of course, you know by uh, osmosis, you then become one of the teachers. Uh, right, yeah. So, student at the same time. Yeah. yeah, contact the seed farm. But there's also an organization that has chapters pretty much, well, certainly all over the Northeast, and that's NOFA the Northeast Organic Farmers Association. And NOFA, N-O-F-A, is always followed by the state. So you'd contact NOFA PA if you were across the what used to be the 50-cent bridge in like Phillipsburg. You'd contact NOFA New Jersey. Um, but And there, I believe there's also a parent organization that is just NOFA, the Northeast Organic Farmers Association. And other parts of the country are going to have similar places. But they would be the ultimate clearinghouse uh, for putting you together with people who maybe have a little skill, want to learn skills. And you might be able to lure somebody away from the seed farm um, to help. Right run the enterprise 
And of course, as you know, there's also the Rodale Institute, not at all far away, just outside of Kutztown in Monksatawney. And they run programs like this too. They have 333 acres and they train farmers and uh, small scale people and things like that. So those are three resources, but the idea is totally doable. And if, yeah, if you have more land that you can use, did you ever consider just making hay while the sun shines? Uh, we could do it. Part of the issue was, was is getting a lot of um, the people who want to uh, use it for hay, they need to get big equipment in. Yes. And um, so the, uh, that requires uh, some, you know, driveways that are big enough to get in these large equipment. And, and it's really, you know, 10 acres is really not kind of uh, sufficient for them to go to all the trouble, but we figured if there was someone who wanted to, you know, who was training and wanted to, you know, do some farming, um, certainly 10 acres is plenty to grow a lot on. Oh, yeah, that's that's like at least 10, 20 people um, right. have, having their own plot of land and learning how to do it and then doing it for market. And with you being so close to the Eastern farmers market, I mean, it seems a fait accompli. Well, the other possibility was setting up as a nonprofit to provide food for uh, um, um, food banks as well. Yeah, but then you still need people knowledgeable to grow the food and right. everything like that. Yep. Talk to the seed farm about that because they have gone. Um, they've gone between nonprofit and for profit, and they can really tell you. I mean. And this is the same advice I would give to a beginning gardener. Talk to other gardeners. Talk to people who have been walking the walk for a while. And you now have three excellent, excellent resources uh, that will give you good advice. And although I tend not to like the term in general, uh, they'll network with you. They'll turn you on to people that my little brain isn't thinking of right now. <laughs> well, that would be great. I really appreciate it. Oh, man, it's a great idea. Thank you for thinking about sharing your land. Good luck to you and stay in touch. All right, that number to call. How many times do I have to tell you? Scrawl it into your drywall. Write it in magic marker on the fungo bat you use to go outside and chase groundhogs. It's 833-727-9588. Alicia, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, Mike. How are you? I am just Ducky. Thanks for asking, Alicia. And Ducky is fine, too, because Ducky is wearing his protective mask. So, uh, where where's Alicia? Uh, I'm in Tyler, Texas. Uh, it's East Texas in between Dallas and Shreveport, Louisiana. Oh, okay. I have a good idea where you are. What can we do you for? Well, um, I had a question um, about selecting seeds. You know, I want to grow as organically as possible. So, Good. Um, does do I need to buy seeds that are labeled certified organic, or does it all come down to how I raise the plants that I grow from the seeds I choose? Um, the basic answer is it all comes down to you. Okay. That once you get the seeds in hand. Um, if you follow good organic practices, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the produce is organic. Now, interestingly uh, enough, you make me wonder what the regulations are, whether uh, certified organic farmers must start with organic seed. 
But I will tell you one big exemption. When you're buying seeds of sweet corn and some spinaches and peas and some other crops, they might be treated. Now, there's two okay. kinds of chemical treatments. The old school ones are chemicals called Theoram and Captan. And these seeds are brightly colored. They are like neon colors. So that theoretically people will be warned that these would be almost fatal to consume as mm -hmm. seeds. I always thought it made it tempting for kids to eat them because they look like candy. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of times, at least in the old days when you were ordering seeds by mail, you would write down no treated seed. But I know that some companies, I think Johnny Selected Seeds comes to mind, have developed organic seed treatments. And seed treatments in general are designed for crops that may be planted in cold, wet soil, like peas and corn, because you got to get them in at a certain time. Uh -huh. So in, especially in northern climates or wet climates, it really doesn't apply to you. Mm -hmm. um, but treated seed that is organically treated may be a good idea if you want a long season of peas or you have a very short season and want to get a nice variety of sweet corn. Now, I will say the other thing that comes to mind, when you're buying organically grown seed, now you're supporting organic agriculture at its very essence. Right. Now okay. the people who are growing these crops for seed are doing the right thing and you're continuing it. Uh-huh. So yeah, that's important. Yeah, my advice would be to buy as much as you can organically. But this used to come up when I was the editor of Organic Gardening all the time. If a variety is special to you or you just can't not try it and it's only available grown commercially, so to speak, conventionally, uh -huh. go ahead. Uh -huh. You know, there shouldn't be any harm. But by buying organic seed, you support organic farming in this kind of invisible part of our business. You know, right. the, the people who grow, quote, for seed. And all of the major companies I look at, Johnny's, uh, Renee's Garden, um, J.L. Hudson, oh, so many others, um, Burpee, mm -hmm. they all have organic options. Mm -hmm. So... Um, you don't have to, but it's a mitzvah if you do. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, and have a good year. You too. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind you that you're listening to a hybrid episode of You Bet Your Garden, recorded in early April, following strict social distancing rules. New calls, old calls, bad jokes, it's all coming up. But don't go laying out your lettuce beds just yet because we'll be right back with the secrets of success with direct sown seeds and more of your seedy phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from WLVT PBS 39 in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. That's right. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week where we will walk you through the correct ways to direct seed plants in your garden that are better seeded than planted with plants. I'll explain what that means after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Roland, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Roland. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine, sitting here enjoying the nice weather in southern Missouri at the Arkansas border. Oh, okay. Excellent. All right, Roland, what can we do you for? A woodpecker has been drilling a hole in our pink crabapple tree all the way to the core. It's a pileated woodpecker. Our question is, what do we fill the hole with and what do we treat a tree with, non-poisonous, of course, to keep whatever the woodpecker is looking for out? Well, uh, the woodpecker could be doing a number of things. Now, uh, pileated woodpeckers are very rare in my part of the country. These are the really large woody woodpecker kind of birds with the big crest. Do you see them all the time? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's common. I like them tear bark off trees. If it's loose, they'll tear a chunk of bark off and throw it aside. Yeah, be, well... It's for, tough. <laughs> for, and, but you say the tree's very healthy. Yeah, the tree is healthy. We planted it at least 20 years ago. So... This is the first time. Right, right. Um, so I'm suggesting that the woodpecker is not building a nest. Uh, woodpeckers build nests in the sides of wooden homes and in dead trees. When no, they, this tree is very much alive. Yes, and when they do something like this, uh, they're sap-sucking. You've probably heard mm. of or perhaps seen the yellow-bellied sap-sucker, which is a yeah, much... Yeah, we see him up here. Yeah, which is a much smaller... On our sweet... Yeah, on our sweet gum. Yes, exactly. Well, there they are. Because the sweet gum tree, the sap is very sweet. Native Americans used it uh, for their chewing gum, believe it or not. So Really? Yeah. Woodpecker, oh, woodpecker, thank you. Woodpeckers are mostly insect eaters, but they do almost everything on this planet, like some sugar. And these birds will occasionally drill into the side of a tree and literally suck up the sap, as we do when we make maple syrup. And the, uh -huh. the lesson there is when we make maple syrup, the trees are not injured. We just steal a little bit of no. the sap for ourselves. So how many holes has the woodpecker drilled? Two. Yeah. And the trunk size is approximately eight-inch trunk. So mm -hmm. he's not looking for a nest. No, no, no. And are the holes random or right next to each other? One on top, one below about a foot. Okay. And they're about an inch and a quarter in diameter. Yeah. Uh, this will not harm the tree one bit. 
But you trying to fill in the holes with something clever uh, could very much harm the tree. Now, my my feeling is the woodpecker is only going to be there while the sap is running, which is kind of like in your area ending soon because you're in a very warm climate. So I would... I'll I'll butt it out. Yeah, I would think that the woodpecker's not going to be around that much longer, and he's going to change over to his regular diet of insects. And as you can imagine, a bird that size can eat a whole lot <laughs> of insects. <Yeah>. Carry-out bag. <laughs> yeah. So, right, he's not allowed to sit down in the restaurant anymore. So, oh, no. <laughs> so what I would suggest, how far off the ground are these holes? Oh, approximately uh Two foot to the one on the bottom, and then about maybe three foot, three and a half foot to the next one up. Okay, so he's staying low down. Yeah, why well, I don't know, but yeah, well, it <laughs> my may... wife's in a panic. Oh no, <laughs> tell her, tell her first of all not to panic, and um, if if this continues, if you get like two or three more holes, wrap the tree with something. Just wrap burlap oh, okay. around that section of the tree hardware cloth uh, with a very fine mesh if you got it. I kind of like the idea of, oh, yeah. the, of the burlap because it would probably taste bad. But I can assure <laughs> okay. you, I can assure you that the tree is not being harmed in any way. And you should take pictures of these birds because they're just stunningly beautiful. And he may come back next, <laughs> he may come back next year um, it may never happen again, but it's not harming the tree at all. And we always have this impulse to fill in holes, and that should never be done. The tree can heal itself much better than we can. She's concerned about insects using the holes to further damage it, I believe, is what the problem is. That's probably not going to happen. If it does, he'll come back and eat the bugs. <laughs> Because that's what he does for a living. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can hear him when he's on the top of the utility pole. It sounds like a jackhammer. Well, that's different. That's that's tapping to attract a mate. He's sending... Oh, that's why he makes all that noise. He sent... Okay. Right, just like, just like teenagers. Um, he's showing uh, off to try to attract a female and let the female know that he's in the neighborhood and this is his territory. A woodpeckers have an amazing array of behaviors, but uh, the tapping is a mating call. The sap sucking is to get something sweet. But most of the time, if they're working a tree, they're getting bugs out. He must have got something out of those two holes. We, they, are, they are here all the time. We have about four varieties of woodpeckers. Mm-hmm. He's the toughest one on the planet. No bird gives this bird any guff. Oh, no, <laughs> no. He's, oh my he, God! <laughs> he's the alpha male, and if you want them oh, to go, yeah. if you want them to go for something different, put out suet feeders in the winter. That'll keep them nice and happy. Well, we're trying to discourage him because we have nothing but woods all the way to Arkansas. He's got all this wooded area, <laughs> and, <laughs> and whatever he wants in. <laughs> yeah, and he'll go back to it because that's their natural habitat. He's just. Um, He's just hanging around your house for the sap, no offense. No, okay. Well, I'll tell her, don't panic. Don't put anything in the hole. No, no, nothing at all. We should put anything, 
And don't treat the tree trunk, uh, just wrap it. Don't, yes. No. Just a physical oh, barrier. Okay. okay. All right, Roll? Well, I can do that easy enough. Yes, sir. I really enjoy your show. Thank oh. you very much. Oh, thank you, sir. All right, as promised, it's time for the question of the week. Sowing success when you sow seeds. Hannah, an anxious plant mom in Absecon, New Jersey, writes, I've been listening to you every week since I decided to become a serious vegetable gardener last year. Being a first-year gardener, I have many questions, especially since I started putting my first seeds in the ground. Question numero uno. How does a person successfully, quote, direct seed? I planted carrot, bunching onion, and spinach seeds last week in my raised beds in soil that I custom mixed. 40% leaf compost, 20% topsoil, 20% bagged organic potting soil, and 20% perlite. Now, I've been trying to keep the soil moist so that the seeds can germinate, but so far, nothing. Can you please give me a step-by-step on this, the same way you've explained starting seeds indoors? Is my soil too heavy? Could the perlite be getting in the way? Is the soil moist enough? Arg! Well, you just got the freshman heebie-jeebies, Hannah. So the first thing you need to do is chill. This is going to be a learning year for you. And no matter how ham-handed you are, there will be many successes. There will also be epic failures akin to that poor skier who we watched crash on the wide world of sports for all those decades. You will cry over these failures, and then one day, you will realize how much you learn from them. Maybe. Crops that are typically direct-seeded, meaning that you plant the seeds as opposed to started plants, include spinach, carrots, beets, radishes, lettuce, peas, corn, and beans. Add zucchini in there if you're gardening further down south. Although this seems easier than putting plants from the garden center in the ground, it's actually pretty tricky as the salad greens, radishes, and peas in this equation are cool weather crops that need time to mature before hot weather hits, but they won't sprout if the soil is too cold. That's why some people buy their first run of lettuce as plants and then direct seed the later runs. Now, planting onions from seed your first year shows that you have much courage. It's kind of like trying to drive a stick shift without ever having been in a car before. The spinach should work out just fine. In my experience, it just takes a little while to germinate. Same with carrots. I was surprised to not see lettuce on your list. Growing lettuce from seed is an easy way for cowards to get a false sense of accomplishment, and I heartily recommend it. Now, being a garden coward personally, I have lettuce growing in five different containers because I don't like bending over to the ground. I sow the seed thickly, as if I were planting a lawn. When one of my lettuce lawns reaches five to six inches in height, I begin harvesting the leaves with scissors, leaving an inch or two of growth in the ground. That lettuce will regrow for several future cuttings, so I don't have to replant. So add lazy to coward, and you're starting to understand my garden philosophy whereby you are hoping to grow onions from seed your freshman year. At least you'll get the tears. I strongly suggest growing small plants that are harvested early in the season in containers. Fill them with a loose mix of compost, potting soil, and perlite about a month before your last average frost date. 
and then wait for a warm stretch. Unless you want to give the seed swimming lessons, you should always water thoroughly before you plant those seeds, ideally with lukewarm water. Then place the seeds on the surface of the wet soil, either in rows like radishes or lawn-like with real lettuce, and cover them with about a quarter inch of a light, loose bagged potting soil. Then use a mister or smallish garden sprayer to mist the surface. Again, ideally with lukewarm water. Your seeds will come up faster and the plants will be of better quality if you also cover the whole shebang with professional spun polyester row cover, which you'll find at any garden center, or a sheer curtain in the beginning to retain heat. Mist often. If the seeds are fresh and the weather is reasonably warm, you should see sprouts in about five days. Cut back to misting once a day when that happens and protect your plantings with something like a beach umbrella if a sudden downpour is predicted. Don't worry about the nighttime temps. Once they're up, crops like lettuce, spinach, peas, and radishes don't mind the cold one bit. Now for carrots, ditch the topsoil. Plant in one-third compost, one-third peat moss with a little wood ash to adjust the soil pH and some perlite or sharp sand. The looser the soil mix, the better the carrots will look and taste. Sow the seeds thickly. When the sprouts are small, pull a few of the sprouts a day from the most crowded areas, rinse them off, and eat your thinnings. Same for other sprouts, especially radishes and kale. If you can see it, you can eat it. And these young plants, sold commercially as microgreens, are packed with nutrients. They also taste really good. Now, later on in the season come corn and beans because they're warm weather crops. Wait until you can safely plant tomatoes and peppers outdoors to sow their seed. And save the seed packets. The days to maturity listing will help you decide when it's time to harvest the sweet corn. Or you can just let the raccoons do that for you. Well, that sure was an interesting look at direct seeding, now wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week where? At the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to eat my thinnings if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please always include your location. Now, you'll find all of this contact information, plus answers to hundreds of your gardening questions. Audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Television and Radio, in association with Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. 
Mike McGrath was created when a rogue electrical current from outer space hit the UHF antenna of his Munts TV while he was watching an old episode of Fireball XL5. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Now the credits go wacky because normally our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah, but he ain't here today. Our social media director, who is also safely sequestered elsewhere, is Amanda Norfleet. Please check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our website wonder is Nicole Harrell. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Eric Werner is home somehow coordinating the phone calls for this show. I'm not sure how, but that's not my problem. Also running this show, Jacob Morris, John Flynn, and Bill Semler. Thanks to all of you. Also thanks to our beloved CEO, Tim Fallon, who either keeps allowing us to come in to take new material or has no idea that we're actually here. We're not really here, Tim. It's all holograms. Hey, look over there. Those are the workers you're looking for. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, saying keep your distance, tend your garden, and we will all Winston Churchill our way out of this. Because the only thing we have to fear is running out of toilet paper. So can you give me singles for a 20? And I'll see you again next week. Hey, boy. Hey, boy. Where's the ball? Where's the ball? <gasps> Ready? <gasps> Go get it, boy. That's a good boy. Drop it. Drop it. Good boy. Good boy. Loyal partners. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org.